0: You're listening to a Southside Baptist Church podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. We've been looking at a series called How to Live in Dark Times. How to Live in Dark Times. And uh, today's message is entitled, What to Do When Your Back is Against the Wall. What do you do in those times when your back's against the wall? and you've got to take a stand, and you really don't have no choice. I mean, you, you've got to do it, and do it in good conscience. Today we're looking at Daniel chapter 2 and 3. I'm going to explain, tell you the story of Daniel chapter 2, and then we're going to look at, at Daniel chapter 3. Let me, let me ask you, why you're turning to Daniel chapter 3, to listen to me for a moment. In Daniel chapter 2... Daniel is faced with a crisis. Now remember, the Babylonians have come in. They have taken Israel into captivity. They have taken the best and the brightest young men and women. They have carried them into exile into Babylon in 587 B.C., a critical moment in the life of Israel. And so now men, young men like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find themselves in a foreign land under a foreign government, a foreign language, and being indoctrinated into another culture. And that was the efforts of Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of Babylon. He would indoctrinate these young people and turn them into good Babylonians, good Chaldeans. Now, in chapter 2, what we find here, we find Daniel is in the middle of a crisis, Okay, Nebuchadnezzar, the king here, the ruler here has had a dream. And in that dream, the king has seen something that has startled him or troubled him. And so what he does is he calls all of his magi, his his uh, sorcerers, his magicians, these men that were... Uh, Out of the group that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been attached to, he called them together and he said, "Listen, you're going to tell me my dream, and then you're going to interpret that dream." Well, the older echelon of this group said, "Look, that's an impossibility. Nobody can do that. You can't do that. You know, nobody. No king has ever even asked for such, made such a request. This is impossible." Only God could do something like that. The gods, they said, could do something like that. So Ariok, who is the executioner, is given the command by King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, I want you to go out. I want you to take all the sorcerers, all the magicians, all of these men, and I want you to to eradicate them. I want you to get rid of them. I want you to murder every one of them. Kill them. And so Ariok goes to Daniel... And when he comes busting into Daniel's place of residence and he says, Daniel, I'm here to kill you, and I'm here to kill Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I'm here to kill the Jews, and I'm here to kill all the magi, the the magicians, sorcerers, Daniel said, well, wait a minute, why? And Arioch says, well, it's because the king, King Nebuchadnezzar's had a dream, and He's required that you, your group, interpret. And you may say, well, how did Daniel not know about it? Remember, Daniel's about a 16 or 17-year-old kid. Hey, the older group of this bunch said, hey, we don't need these young Jewish boys to tell us anything. We can handle this ourselves. So Daniel says, well, what is it? And Arioch says, listen, the king is required that the interpretation of the dream be given. But here's the catch. You've got to tell him what he dreamed Daniel looks at Ariok, young man, imagine this, teenager. Raises his hand to Ariok and he says, give me time. He goes and he pulls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these young men together. He tells them the situation and he says this, he said, we must pray. And he gathers them together and they begin to pray. God begins to reveal not only the meaning, but the dream itself. So King Nebuchadnezzar, here's the call of Daniel. Daniel comes to the palace and Daniel says to him, the dream, I have the dream. And he says, you know the meaning of the dream. He says, no, uh, I don't know it, but God knows it and God has revealed it to me. Nebuchadnezzar says, well, tell me the dream. He he said, King, you dreamed a dream of a a statue. The statue was massive. It had a head of gold and then it had a chest of silver. It had the trunk of bronze. It had the feet of of iron, the legs of iron and the feet of iron, the, the legs of iron. And then finally it had feet like clay and iron mixed together. And then he looked at the king and he said, King, you are the head of gold. But after you will come another kingdom and it will be inferior to yours. And then another kingdom will be inferior to that. And then there'll come a kingdom that will crush like iron. And then that kingdom will one day be dissolved and mixed into the clay and the iron. And that kingdom will be even more inferior. And then he said this, but you saw a rock. And this rock came out of heaven. And it struck that statue and it crumbled and it collapsed into dust. And the wind blew it to the, the wind began to blow and sent that dust in all directions. King, the end of that statue, the end of all of that is that that rock will destroy that statue. And then that rock turned into a mountain and that mountain filled the whole earth. When I read that, I thought about Jesus in Matthew 16 when he tapped Peter on the chest and he said, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I thought about when he said to his disciples, and when you pray, pray thy kingdom come. By will be done. In other words, God, you send that mountain and let it spread across this earth. Now we come to Daniel chapter 3. But well, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that you love us, dear Lord, that you care about us. We think about when you looked at Peter and you said, Peter, you are a Petros, you are a Lithos, you are a single stone, a single rock but upon this rock, the Petra, the church, the foundation that every wise man will build his life on so that when the storms come, that that foundation is secure. We thank you for that and we praise you. And Lord, even as we look to your word, we are excited to see what you're going to say to us today. Lord, I ask you to be with your messenger today. This is much material in a little bit of time. So I pray, dear Lord, you'll give me a very, very clear word and a clear mind. And that you'll, dear Lord, do something that only you can do. Lord, if there's anything in the messenger's life, if there's anything in my life, in any way that would interfere or displease or, or dear Lord, keep this message from being where it needs to be, Lord, I ask you to cleanse me and forgive me. And Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, don't sit down yet. Don't sit down yet. Let's look at Daniel chapter 3. I had to get you to Daniel chapter 3, okay? Now, in Daniel chapter 3, that's where we are today, I want you to look at verse 1. It says in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. So the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provisional officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, this is what you are commanded to do. O peoples, nations, and men of every language, as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down, and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Amen. You can be seated. The the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had undoubtedly not only troubled him, but I think filled him with a desire to maintain his position. If you remember what I told you a moment ago his the head the head of gold was a representation of the kingdom of nebuchadnezzar now what daniel told nebuchadnezzar was this nebuchadnezzar eventually there's going to come another kingdom and it's going to be inferior to yours. And then another kingdom and another kingdom and another kingdom. And because of this, I believe that Nebuchadnezzar, because he's so full of himself, he decided, you know, I'm just not going to let this opportunity slip by. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make the whole statue a picture of me. And so that's what he did. Nebuchadnezzar, like most people, are ill-equipped to handle popularity, prestige, and uh, power. It goes to their head. He's full of himself. So he says to himself, you know, I'm going to put a lasting monument to myself. Made me think, when I, when I was looking at this, I thought about Saddam Hussein. You remember when the troops began to go into Iraq and they went in and finally all of us remember that scene where those soldiers, of, or I, I, the people of Babylon, I meant the people of Iraq did it. They threw a rope up there and they began to pull that statue of Saddam over and it toppled over and there was a shout or a cheer that went up. As I, as I thought about this scene here, I thought about that scene as well. Nebuchadnezzar is full of himself. And so he goes out on the plain of Dura, on an open plain. He builds a 90 foot high, a 9 foot wide, gold plated statue that is a reflection of himself. He is a tyrant, he's a dictator. And then he turns, to his, he turns to the people of that region and he says to them in chapter 3 verses 4 through 6, he says, and now I'm asking you to bow and to pay homage to that statue. Now there's only one problem here and I want everybody to look this way. To every Jewish child who was trained in the Shema... They understood this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God, and you shall not have no other God before you, and you shall not bow down to any graven image. And so here we have what I'm going to call today authorities conflicting. We have the authority of Nebuchadnezzar, the government, that is conflicting with the authority of God. God. Now let me read to you a quote. If you and I live long enough, if you live long enough, you will come to a time when on the job, in the academic world, in religion, in government, as a citizen, where the authority will conflict conflict with your final authority, and that is the Word of God. Now everybody look this way. This is my final authority. Okay. In fact, hold your Bible and say it with me. This is my final authority. Let's say that together. This is my final authority. Okay, Because that's important for you and I to remember. Now, first of all, we have to understand this, that when authorities conflict, we have to ask ourselves the question, then what do I do? You see, if you and I live long enough, sooner or later, some authority out there is going to conflict with your final authority. And the question then becomes, what do I do in that situation? Now, everyone look this way. You obey the higher authority. Amen? You see, that's critical. You obey the higher authority. Now, now, stay with me here. What I'm saying is, I'm not talking about your opinion. What I'm talking about is that you understand that there is a principle of Scripture that you cannot compromise, you just simply cannot give in on. In other words, my authority will not allow me to do what you're asking me to do. If a married man were coming on, or if a married woman is coming on to you, then your answer is, I cannot do that, my authority will not allow that. If you're asked to cheat on the books or twist the numbers or to do whatever in the business world, I'm sorry, my authority will not allow me to do that. This is my final authority. I can remember when the kids were growing up, they would be with a friend. This was usually Emily. And a friend would say to her, or would come and say to us, Can Emily? Spend the night. In the background, Emily was going, Say no. Say no. Okay? Now, we didn't know why. And then we'd hear her say something about... Because then they would say, Well, go back and, and, and negotiate. You know, go back and press it a little bit more. And Emily would go, No, my parents won't let me. You know, there's great freedom... In young people, when they have parents who won't let them, you know what the problem is so often in our world today? Parents don't care anymore. I heard one person say that a man 'll let his dog run free a I man let his kids run free and tie his dog up. You see, there's something with this thing of final authority. So when my authorities are conflicting, what I do is I go to that, I go to that, listen, I go back, I go back to my final authority. Now, let me get my notes straightened out here. You know, this is one of them days. Wow. Okay? So number one, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obey the higher authority. Number two, I'd stay with me here. Number two, I'm going to I'm not banking it on my opinion. I'm banking it on a principle of God's word. Now this requires that I know God's word. Number three, that I understand that there will be repercussions from whichever authority I disobey. Okay? In other words, if you disobey man's authority, then there's going to be repercussions in man's arena. If you disobey God's authority, then there's going to be repercussions in God's authority. Whatsoever a man sows, that's what he reaps. Now, let me ask you a question today. Which authority, or which authority, well, let me ask you this, which authority would you rather upset? Man's or God's? I don't know about you, but I'd wonder, I would rather upset man's than God's. You see, this is critical. And so I want you to stop here. And I can tell you this much, the enemy's already working against this message, and I don't blame him. So I want all of you to stay with me. I've been kind of stumbling and floundering for a minute, but I want you to hear what I'm about to say here. Okay? This is very important if you don't hear anything else. In one of our Sunday school classes recently... They were dealing with the lesson, render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar and unto God what belongs to God. In the course of that discussion, now this was these were young married couples. This was the young married couples class. The question was posed, if the health reform bill that is presently coming out of Washington, if it subsidizes abortion and partial birth abortion, can a believer pay their taxes, and should they? Now, I want you to stay with me here, because I want to make some observations first of all. What they were asking is a fair question of all of us. In essence, what they were saying, if our nation, if the United States continues on its present post-Christian path, and by that I mean a rejection of the principles of the authority of Scripture, and even of moral and ethical decency, then they are asking as young people and young married couples, what should we do? And I want you to know something, that's a worthy question. Now you may not like the question. You may think, well, that's, 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 that's not fair. But it is a fair question from the younger generation. And as I thought about that, I pictured this scene with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel. Can you imagine this scene as these Babylonian soldiers were beginning to round up all of these young people? I believe there was a moment where Daniel, maybe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where those parents pulled them together and said, listen, there's nothing we can do. You're getting ready to be taken to a foreign land. They're going to indoctrinate you into their, into their culture, into their language, into their religion. And they're going to, listen, they're going to aggressively do this. But you know the law. You know the Word of God. You've been counseled and impressed. Don't compromise. Hold to your faith. Don't turn away from the faith. And there, those young men are now going into Babylonian captivity. And as the call of Nebuchadnezzar came to bow to a graven image, I picture those young men remembering those goodbyes of their parents and having to take a stand. I spoke at Mississippi College a couple of weeks ago to a group of master level, master of divinity students. I called because it was very controversial. I called the professor the next week before he went into that class and I said, Look, I just want to clarify something. He said, You don't need to clarify anything. He said, You made it very clear. And I said, Well, you don't understand something. I don't want controversy just for the sake of controversy. He said, I don't think you did that. So I'm not simply doing this today in order to raise controversy to make some people uncomfortable. I'm saying that what the younger generation was asking is a fair question in light of America moving farther and farther away from the authority of Scripture. Now, let me give you some of the answers. And I'm not picking on anybody because I heard these answers over and over again. In fact, I decided I'd call my parents, I'd call people in other states. I thought, listen, let me get some ideas because this is a real issue and a question that we need to ask. Let me give you some of the answers. I don't agree with every decision any institution makes. But it's a package deal. You have to accept the good and the bad. Now I thought to myself, when that was said, I thought about this. I may not like PowerPoint, but I'm not talking about PowerPoint. PowerPoint. I'm not talking about the level of the sound of the music in this room. I'm talking about a deeper issue here. In fact, let me say this. People may say, well, you know, I don't agree with everything about this church, but we accept it as a package deal. Well, my friend, listen, if, if, if cradled in the decisions of this pastor and the leadership of this church was that if we have too many babies down there in the nursery... We just go down there and rip them out of the crib, take them out there and pop them in the head and kill them because we don't have enough workers because it's inconvenience to our preschool department. Does that make it right? You see, we're not talking about PowerPoint and sound here, folks. We're talking about babies being taken out of the nursery and being murdered out there in the parking lot of the church. And there's not much difference between that and partial birth abortion. other people said well this is us this is the united states we use tax dollars for all kinds of things but do you know that it's used for that you see the critical issue here always is in the life of a believer what is my final authority some would say well it's the rights of the individual this is used a lot in abortion well my friend tell that to the drug user and the drug dealer Tell that to the prostitute and the pimp. Tell that to the drunk on the highway, to the alcohol and the gambling industry. You see, there's great danger when the rights of an individual overrule the well-being of the entire community. That just won't work. In fact, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this. If the present health reform package proposed by Washington passes, they will split this nation... And this would be the equivalent of Abraham Lincoln shoving slavery down the throats of the north with no regard to the sanctity of human life. You see, authority conflicts. And what these young people are asking is a fair question if America continues on a plight or on a road that is moving us farther and farther and farther from its Judeo-Christian ethics and its moral decency and it continues down this path, then what young people are asking is this, what should we do when those authorities conflict? And the answer to that is we obey and we teach our children to obey the higher authority no matter the cost. And that's what we have here. You see, when authorities conflict, what do I do? Number one, I obey the higher authority. Number two, I have to recognize this. Once I take a stand, there's going to be a storm. So number two, I'm going to have to ride out the storm. Now stay with me here. There will be conflict when you disobey an authority. The source of that conflict will be the one you disobeyed. If it's God, then that conflict will come from God. If it is man, then that conflict will come from man. Once Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego took a stand here, they were taking a stand against the government, against the political power of their day. They were standing against King Nebuchadnezzar. But hear me, once they stood on the authority of God's word against the king... They understood this. This is no longer between us and God. This is between the king and God. Now, that is important. These young men knew this. They they were no longer on trial, but now Nebuchadnezzar was on trial. You see, my child goes to school, or did. Did. When a child disobeys the authority of the teacher while obeying me, then if the child receives conflict or repercussions, guess who's going to go to bat for the child? Who? Isn't that right? You see, if if I've raised my children, you don't do this, you don't do that. There's certain things that you just don't do. And my child says, well, what if in the classroom, what if we are required to do it? And you obey, you obey me. I'm a higher authority than the teacher. Well, I'm going to get in trouble. You call me. I'll handle the trouble. Well, you don't know what's going to happen. You just call me because now the conflict is between me, the parent, and the teacher. And this is critical because we live in a day when things are very different from how many of us grew up. Now, notice the use of intimidation here. In chapter 3, verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar was, in verse 13, he was fury with, furious with rage. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of of gold I've set up, now when you... And he goes through them all over again, and he says, Listen, you know what he says to him? He says, Listen, I'm going to give you another chance because you don't understand what's involved here. He uses intimidation. In John 19, and I don't have time to go there, or Acts chapter 4, in John chapter 19, verses 9 through 11, Pilate tried to do this with Jesus. Pilate said to Jesus, "Do you know who it is? Do you know the power that I have? I can let you go." You know what Jesus said to Pilate? He said, "You don't have no power that God hadn't given you. And God can take it away. In Acts chapter four, you remember when Peter and John were there before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin said, listen, you are not, this is the governing body of that day. You are not to mention the name of Jesus. Don't preach this name anymore. You know what they said? Is it right to obey you or God? It is not always easy to take a stand. Martin Luther King, similar to Gandhi and used Gandhi's principles, exercised civil disobedience in an orderly way against the federal government. In Nazi Germany, Dietrich Bonhoeffer went to prison and was ultimately murdered because he took a stand against the Nazism, against Nazism there in Germany. In fact, it was said that one Christian leader went to to Bonhoeffer's cell to visit him and to try to sway him, to turn him away, to try to turn him back so he wouldn't take that stand. And when he walked up, he looked at Bonhoeffer and he said, Why are you in there? Bonhoeffer looked at him and said, Why are you not in here? You see, it is critical that you and I understand that when we obey our final authority, it sometimes means that there is a storm of conflict that will come. Now let me move quickly and I'll close. Look at verse 16 through 18. King gives him another. In verse 15 he says, What God will be able to deliver you from my hand, rescue you from my hand. Shadrach, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, I love this. We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. He will rescue us from your hand, O King. But even if He does not, we want you to know, O King, that we will not serve your God. Will not bow down to the image of gold that you have set up. Number one, stay with me here, real quickly. What you'll see right here. You know what they said? We don't have to listen. We don't have to pray about this. We don't have to mull over it. We don't have to think about it. Listen, do you know there's some things you and I don't have to pray about? We do not have to pray about obeying God's Word. You don't have to pray about something that God has already made perfectly clear to you. In other words, let me give you an example. You don't have to pray about adultery. Well, you know, I just don't know whether to get involved with this married person or not. So I'm going to pray about it. You see, God's already given a clear demand. about. You know, somebody said, well, you know, I just don't know whether they ought to lie here or not. I don't know whether they ought to steal here or not. My friend, those things have already been settled in the Word of God. So what they were saying to King Nebuchadnezzar, listen, we don't need any more time. We don't need to think through this. We don't need to go to the prayer closet. This is already settled by the Word of God. We do not bow down to a graven image. Secondly, this has not only already been settled, it's been settled by the Word of God. Thirdly, our answer is not conditional. Look what they say in verse verse 18. They say, but even if He does not, even if God does not deliver us, we will not bow down and serve your image. It's not based on deliverance. God's not on trial here. You know what these men and you know what these men are committed to? They're committed to doing the right thing no matter the cost. God knows we need men and women today that will do the right thing no matter the cost. Number 4, and listen to this and we'll close. Sometimes it is only an act of obedience at great cost. Do we see and experience God and so do the lost? Let me walk you on down here. Look at this. In, uh, in verse 21, so these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound, thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot because you know what the king did? The king was so angry that they defied his authority that he blew up and he said, heat it up seven times over. He said, man, I mean, get it hot. Okay, look at verse 23. And these three men firmly tied fell into the blazing furnace. Now, if you notice verse 22, the men that were trying to throw them in got killed. That's how hot the fire was. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors. He said, were there not three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Let me read that statement again. Sometimes it's only an act of obedience at great cost do we see and experience God, and so do the lost. At work, at school... In other areas, listen to this quote, sometimes the reason you and I and people around us never see God is because we never take a stand. We have learned to steer clear of conflict. We fly under the radar. We don't want to upset the status quo. We've learned to sleep with the enemy. But it's only when we are under the fire that not only we but others see Christ. In verse 29... Verse 28, then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him. Now look at this. Look at verse 28. They trusted in him and they defied the king's command. They were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces, their houses be torn, and turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. God is manifested when men and women of God take a stand and suffer the consequences of that and the ruler of a a pagan ruler a pagan Babylonian ruler is on his knees worshiping God. Now stay with me. I know we've got to close. Hear me. This is not a defiant, bullheaded, looking looking-for-a-fight attitude. We are commanded to be law-abiding citizens. Paul said it in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3. He said, I urge you then, first of all, that request prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness this is good and pleases god our savior my friend i want you to say i want you to understand this you and i need to pray we need to pray for the united states government as much as we ever have but i'm afraid the danger of the pulpit and the danger of the pew is that we want political correctness we want popularity with the masses but it's void of holiness and sacrifice and cost and confrontation. Let me close with this. This is a hard sermon to preach. Wow. I stumbled and kind of floundered in the beginning. And to be honest with you, we've got the children in here. I don't know what it is, but I'd almost say it's kind of a spiritual thing. Okay? Now I want you to know why. Hear me. Stay with me. Because... I believe that if you could play this sermon 25, 30 years from now, I may be dead and gone. I promise you that the children and the teenagers and the college age and the young couples, I promise you they'll be hanging on every word because this is where America's heading. Unless, it, unless, there's a, unless there is repentance and revival and a return to the principles of God's Word. We're heading that way. So they, they hopefully will remember what I'm saying. Now let me close with this. Wednesday night, two Wednesday nights ago, um, I was um, finishing up the Bible study and a man came up to me and a man asked me something. and he asked me something that troubled me greatly. He he, he equated the Word of God with the paraphernalia of an organization that he's involved in, and he put them side by side. He not only spoke bad about a friend of mine, he, uh, he, to me, degraded the Word of God, and I had great difficulty with that. Then after this conversation, I got in another conversation with a few more people. Now, it's nothing against these people. They didn't know anything of what was going on. And we began to talk about time. And I said, you know, uh, I believe time has sped up. They laughed. About all of them laughed. Not everyone laughed, but some of them laughed. They said, that's, that's funny. I, I, basically, what they were saying is you're 54 and you get older. Time seems to speed up. I said, no, no, wait a minute. College age. Young people are saying it feels like time is moving faster. It's not just me. This is not a generational thing anymore. Well, some kept laughing. And so I said, well, wait a minute. Now, in Matthew 24:22, doesn't the Bible say that in the last days, he'll shorten those days? that the days would be shortened, if he didn't shorten the days, that no flesh would be saved. I said, is it possible that God could speed up time or shorten days? Well, they laughed again. Now let's go ahead and stand up. They laughed again. Kind of hurt my feelings a little bit. I was already licking one wound Kind of bothered me a little bit. You can cut these lights. We'll go on the invitation after this. Everybody look this way. 30, what, about 36 hours later, an 8.8, nearly a 9.0 earthquake hit Chile. Okay? They had aftershocks. Greater than what happened in Haiti, so I thought, man, you know to me, I mean, man, hey, look, th- this world, france, France had a hundred mile an hour winds over there, and flooding France, Western Europe, mudslides, fires. Freak snowstorms, blizzards, record-setting blizzards in the Northeast. Washington shut down so that they didn't have a homicide for a week. And I'm sitting there going, every time I hear an earthquake, I think about Jesus said when you hear of earthquakes in diverse places, don't be alarmed, don't be upset. I think about Paul when he said, and Jesus said, the earth will travail as we reach those final days like a woman giving birth to a child. It will begin to just groan. And, 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 it just, and I just had chills over me. But that wasn't it. God wasn't through with me yet. Later on I was listening to the radio. The next day, my dad was an engineer for NASA for years. By that time on the radio, NASA came out with something. NASA said this, When the earthquake took place in Chile, that it shook the earth on its axis and shifted it so that we shortened our day by less than a second. It shortened the day. And NASA said this, NASA didn't say God. NASA said it, 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 it shortened our day and it would never return again. The overwhelming presence of God in the car the power of His Holy Spirit. It was like Sunday school we were talking about this morning with Moses at Mount Sinai and God just whispered in my ear, no one laughs at my word, son. I'll shake this earth and shorten the days if I choose to do so. Because why? Because this is the final authority. This is the final authority. And he made a a strong statement. He said, My word will always be true, and you can trust it. You can trust it. But what does that mean to you? If you're here today and you don't know Christ, if you're here today and you've never given your heart and your life to Christ, and you don't know whether you're saved or not, you don't know if you died where you'd spend eternity. My friend, let me remind you of something. The God that shakes this earth on its axis loves you so much that 2,000 years ago He invaded His own creation, stepping into the robes of the flesh of man and making right what sin had destroyed in your life. He has provided. He has provided salvation for you. He's provided heaven for you. And all you've got to do is say, Lord, here I am. And I'm a sinner, but I know you died on that cross for me. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Don't shake this axis. Lord, shake me. Take control of my life. Others of you here in this room right now, and you are dangerously close. You, I'm looking at every eyeball right now. You are dangerously close of living lives. In, lives, in willful disobedience to the Word of God, my friend, this is the wrong time for you to live in rebellion against the Word of God. Because I can promise you this, whatever you sow, that's what you'll reap. This is not the time that you want to live a life in these days that is anything other than holy, holy and sold out to Christ. So I want to challenge you today. If you need to make a fresh commitment, do that today. Do that today. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You, dear Lord, and Lord, we love You. Lord, we thank You that, dear Lord, You will just... It is amazing to me how You will show Your Word to be true. We give You all glory and honor. You alone are worthy to be praised. Lord, when I hear about, when I hear about the billion-plus people in India, and nearly, dear Lord, so many millions upon millions are coming to Christ. From 2% in 2002 to today, over, over 10% of the population has come to Christ, and more are coming every day. When I read, dear Lord, in the underground church of China, people are coming to Christ. At numbers of 25,000 a day, Dear Lord, when I read of what God, You're doing all over the world in the Islamic, the Muslim countries, oh God, do it here. Oh God, do it here. God, tonight, I think it's tonight, Hollywood will gather. They will celebrate the trash and the immorality and the unethical teachings and the movies, dear Lord, that are tainting not only this nation but around the world. God, speak to Hollywood. Get a hold of it today. Shake, dear Lord, send a small earthquake at the Oscars at the Academy Award. Dear Lord, do something that only you can do. God, save us from the corruption that's coming out of California, out of of Hollywood, Lord. Father, we pray for our government that the cries of nearly 50 million unborn children that have been put into the grave in a premature death, we pray that the cry of the womb is lifting up like the groans of Israel in the exodus. It is lifting up toward the panels of heaven, dear Lord, and you're hearing the cry of the unborn. Dear Lord, send revival to Washington. Bring it to brokenness and repentance. Get a hold, dear Lord, of every, every part of that political machinery before it's too late. God, get a hold of the church. Judgment begins in the house of God. May parents and grandparents begin to live the kind of lives that bring glory and honor. May we take a stand. May we say, I can't do that. My authority will not allow that. And then suffer the storm that comes. Father, speak to the hearts. Draw people and we'll give you the glory. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You come. You come. Led you'll be.